Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings, the NFL, football, yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast. Welcome to the post-Minnesota Vikings-Arizona Cardinals Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar along with Judd Zolgad here in an empty U.S. Bank stadium. And uh, Judd, let's just start out with the big picture here. Ignore how ugly the game was overall. Yep. And focus on the Minnesota Vikings 3-2-1 record. Mm -hmm. Let's not talk about exactly how they got here. They are now in pretty good shape considering that the Chicago Bears lost in overtime to the Miami Dolphins and they go to New York to play a Jets team that is occasionally strong but also has a rookie quarterback. Overall, if I told you at the beginning of the season that the Vikings would start 3-2-1, and one, how would you feel about that? Okay, so I know nothing about how they got there though. Correct. So they're just 3-2-1. and one. Yeah. I feel good. Those first five games were incredibly tough. Now, if you go back, were there some surprises? Absolutely. But if you had told me at the beginning of training camp, look at the schedule. Just look at the schedule, and they're going to be 3-2-1, and one, I'd say, not bad. That's fine. So if I'm going to ignore how they got here, if I'm going to ignore style points, if I'm going to completely ignore the Buffalo game, I would have told you 3-2-1, and one, considering what they had to start against, is actually very respectable. And I feel like where they stand now... They get the win that they're supposed to get here. If they could go to New York and do the same, then they've got a situation where even if they lose to New Orleans here, although it is at home and you've got a shot to win that game, but even if you lose, you're still in decent shape considering that the NFC North is beating each other up and where you want to be halfway through the season for the Vikings is looking at that second half and saying, okay, we have a chance to be in the playoffs, a chance to win the division, and in order to do so, they really needed this win. If they had lost today to Arizona, I think we would have been saying, okay, this team got a fluke win in Philadelphia, but they are just not a good team and don't expect anything from them the rest of the year. This was very much a you've got to take care of business win. This team isn't very good. They're coming here. They've got a rookie quarterback, and the Vikings took care of that rookie quarterback And I'm not saying that you can believe yet that they are the 2017 version, but at least we're seeing some similar signs to how they played in 2017. If you split the season into quarters, 
if you split it like that, I believe that the Vikings entered a stretch t- uh, today, which is four games before the bye week, where you need three or four. And how you get there, I don't know. I mean, if you had lost today, then you, you would obviously have had to beat the Saints. But if you just take this season and split it down into quarters, I think the Vikings are now in a stretch where they're going to go Arizona, as you just said, at the Jets, and then home to the Saints in Detroit before the bye. You need three of four games. And if you can get those three of four games, and they might be all ugly, and they might be all filled with bad halves, like today was in the first half, but if you can get that, I think you're in very good shape. So since you're an extremely positive person, I would like to start with the things that went well for the Minnesota Vikings today, specifically Mm -hmm. the running game and the defense. So uh, the running game, if you were wondering how Pat Elfline would recover from his shoulder surgery, his ankle surgery, well, you didn't really get a very good picture of that in the first two weeks because he went up against Aaron Donald and then he went up against Fletcher Cox. And that's just not fair. I mean, those are the two premier players at that position in the NFL. And so it doesn't really give you an accurate vision of what he is like as a center. And plus having to come back and shake off the rust and all that. But today, Judd, Pat Elfline was fantastic. Every one of those big runs came pretty much behind him. And then Latavius Murray did what he did last year so many times. He created explosive runs. He finished out the game with giving him the ball and pounding Arizona's face in. I never think that a team should count on their running game to be there or should look at a running game like it's vital for offensive success. But when you get the ball with three minutes left and you're up by 10, you should be able to hammer their faces in and win. And the Vikings did that today. I think, though, uh, to to disagree with you a little bit, I think you have to at least have the perception that you can do it. And today did. Today now gives you the per- perception. Murray had uh, 24 carries, 155 yards, and a touchdown. And probably most importantly, you didn't play Delvin Cook, which is huge. That hamstring thing, so he got hurt in the Green Bay game, missed the loss to Buffalo, tried to come back against the, the Rams, and I'm convinced that being on a, quote, pitch count, which is which for a hamstring problem does not work, hurt it again there didn't play against the Eagles, and then was expected to be on a quote-unquote pitch count again. Today came out in pregame and, and was a no-go. I think, it was, I think it's imperative to, to get him back, to allow him to sit for a week or two weeks or three weeks, and when he gets back, he can play. But I think the thing, the league right now rotates around a successful passing game. But if teams don't fear your run at all, it's a problem. So at least today now, when the Jets sit down and watch this film, they're going to have the idea that even if they don't do it, the Vikings come next Sunday in New Jersey can at least run the ball a little bit. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. And especially up the middle to give some confidence to an offensive line that has had some issues and we will get to those issues. But to have a running game today, to be able to close it out, to be able to get a touchdown on a play where Kirk Cousins didn't have to make a great throw. If you're always asking Kirk Cousins to make great throws time after time after time, there are going to be mistakes or there are going to be times where the other team is able to cover and it makes it much harder in the red zone than if you could just hand it off to Latavius Murray, have him run over a dude, touchdown, you're good to go. And that was big for them. If they get Delvin Cook back, that adds a whole other element that does not exist so much with Latavius Murray. Now, on the defensive side, I thought 
early on when they gave up a big play or two, uh-oh, like this could be a problem if they're giving up big plays, even though Arizona isn't moving the ball in chunks. But they totally stopped doing that in the second half. They caused another big turnover. Anthony Barr had a fantastic game. And Mike Zimmer just confused the hell out of Josh Rosen 0 for 10 on third downs. And mm-hmm. as smart as Rosen is, when it's an inexperienced quarterback going up against Mike Zimmer, they very rarely have success because he's able to find ways to pressure from different areas that usually rookie quarterbacks have not seen yet. And they did a ton of that today. And here's the key to me, though. How do you now consistently get what you got from Barr today? Because it wasn't like he was out of this world great, but guess what? He was damn good. This is the type of performance that I think you need to go back, look at it, and say, how did, did we get that? How much of that had to do with him? How much of that had to do with our game plan? Because there have been times where, where Barr plays a game this year, and you might see him for a quarter or so, but that's it. So if you are going to – if this team is going to maximize its potential – I think I think what you need to do is look at today's blueprint and today's game, especially from a guy like Barr, and say, how do we get that on a consistent basis? Because that's the type of performance from Anthony Barr that you need. Well, one thing is causing a turnover and making a big play. And we did not see a whole lot of that early on in the season from him. Even if you throw out the Rams game and we just say, look, that was not his fault. He's not supposed to be guarding wide receivers on two of those touchdowns. It's not on him. But we hadn't seen sacks. We hadn't seen fumbles or interceptions or any of those things that he had done in 2015 and that we had seen in glimpses a little bit of last year inconsistently where he was making plays and getting people in the backfield. And today it was one of those days where he popped up and was really, really good. And part of that, Judd, is he was rushing off the edge a little bit today. And yep. it wasn't a ton. And that's them. But, you know, I, I looked at this stat with Pro Football Focus the other day, and he had created a pressure on 9 of 40 rushes, which is a really, really good rate coming into the game. But only 40 rushes is surprisingly low. And then he comes in here and creates more pressure today. It's something that I think Mike Zimmer has to do for the rest of this season is be extremely aggressive. Last year, he could rely much more on the front four, and that was probably the plan if Everson Griffin was good to go Mm -hmm. to just rely on this front four to succeed. But you're not going to be able to do that. As good as Daniel Hunter is, as good as Sheldon Richardson is at pressuring the passer, he's going to have to be aggressive. He's going to have to send these blitzes. And some of the zone blitzes he sent completely threw off Rosen and caused sacks in part from Anthony Barr. So it's not just Barr playing an engaged game, which sometimes you don't see from him. Correct. But also no, it's both sides. His, I agree. Right. His head coach putting him in a situation to Absolutely. succeed. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. What else did you see from the defense, if we just agree on that point, unless you have more to add? Uh, no, I, I don't. Uh, the defense, I thought, played a s- solid game. The, as you, you brought up, the only two things that I think probably concerned you about uh, this game from a defensive standpoint for the Vikings were the two deep plays. Harrison Smith on the second one got turned around, and, and it's a credit to him that he got burned there. And I think we all said, did that just happen? Yeah. He's usually so damn good, and, and that play – took place and you said to yourself a rookie quarterback just did that to Harrison Smith but I saw what I've what I think we're seeing now is is even with personnel not necessarily being completely in place that this defense would like it's stabilizing now and it it's not going to be probably or it's not going to be as good as a year ago 
but it's still good. And and I think what we are seeing now more these last two games, though, is they need to mix things up. And I, I think these past two games, they are. Yes. There were, you know, that Rams game and the Buffalo game, you kept saying to yourself, they're not really doing that that much. It's like they're sending their personnel out there and thinking it's going to work, and, and it didn't. So um, I think that we are we have seen more creativity in these past two games. I think we will certainly continue to see that. It's going to be very interesting if Mike Hughes now, who reports are uh, might have torn his ACL, his left ACL in the fourth quarter, is lost for the year because that's going to change. They've been throwing out what? I want to say off the top of my head, about four different versions of a nickel package. Uh, curses in some. Iloka played today and played really well, I thought. He's in some. McKenzie's in some. So you're not going to go from about four different versions of a, a nickel package to three of them, which is not probably great. But I do think that defense has taken steps in these past two games where where you feel a lot more comfortable with what they're doing. And it does seem like they're getting they're not getting gashed as much as they were previously, certainly in the Buffalo game and then that Rams game. I think that what you lose there with Hughes is just a fallback option aside from the big nickel, which includes J. Ron Curse. I love playing that the nickel. Yeah, I know. I and, love the big nickel. Term. And so now I think you're going to have to ask more of J. Ron Curse to rotate in situationally because I don't think Mackenzie Alexander is like a Captain Munerlin who could just play that the whole game and you can really rely on. We saw even today at times later on in the game where Josh Rosen was able to attack Mackenzie Alexander and a ball surprisingly bounced out of the hands of Larry Fitzgerald that was very close to being a huge play on Mackenzie Alexander again. And so, you know, I think right now everybody knows that he is the weakness and what Mike Hughes was able to do was rotate in there and give them a little more of a, of a solid nickel corner or a guy who could also play on the outside too. And now they just don't have that. So now they're flying basically without a parachute. And if he is out for the year, I mean, I don't know if there's a trade you can make or anything like that. Probably that's, not at this point, right? It's very difficult. The deadline's coming up, so maybe someone's moving a corner, but they have no money or anything. Right. So you're basically just stuck with what you have, and that's not the greatest situation for the Vikings in the secondary. So to your point, uh, I think that they looked decent against Philadelphia, caused some big play turnovers. They looked very good against the team they should look very good against. But if you're expecting things to magically go back to 2017, considering who is now injured, that probably isn't going to happen. And and I don't think that the story is written on this Vikings defense at all or, we, yeah. or that we even truly know what to expect here going forward. Griffin, right? He's absolutely key. If, yeah. he, if he comes back, it's huge. If he doesn't, I don't see how, how the primary guys playing and are, are absolutely going to wear down at some point in time. We're six games in, and those guys are playing tons of snaps, right? And, and we talked about this at the end of last year, the acknowledgement basically that they had to have more of a wave system that they tried to put in place in training camp into the early games this year. And now you're back to your ends are playing all the time. If Griffin does not come back, I think you get very concerned about how your ends hold up come December or so because at some point they're just going to start to wear out. Yeah, yeah. In and fairness to them, I mean, it's just tough. Well, to Sean Bauer, we'll see. I haven't seen a whole lot from him that screams NFL player to me or NFL guy that plays a lot. 
At least and it's from, a tough thing to step into, too. Of course it is. But the, the times that he's been in, I think right. he's been mostly ineffective. And then Jalen Holmes is forced to come in, and he's a guy that worked at defensive tackle all through training camp and then has to move to defensive end when Stephen Weatherly goes down for a couple plays there. And it, it really is sort of teetering. Now, the one thing is with Anderson Dejo, if there was one guy that could go down, it was him because the Iloka pickup was really big and and they even rotated Anthony Harrison. So you're right about seeing some different bodies come in there in different situations Mm -hmm. that last year, they just played the same guys every down all the time. It only changed when Alexander would occasionally come in for Terrence Newman. Now there's a lot of changes going on. Is there a case to be made that after what we saw today, especially too, that Barr simply starts to play end more. I mean, we've been Just waiting a lot for more it. Possibly, yeah, we've been waiting for it. That it was talked about a ton in training camp. It was used a ton in training camp with a lot of different situations and drills and things like that. He worked with the defensive ends on pass rushing and going up against tackles. And now might be the time to start bringing it out because he's had a lot of success with it. This is a guy right. who came out where they thought he was going to be an edge rusher. I just can't think think of a compelling case right now not to do it. Well, and the fact that Eric Wilson appears to be good at football, that helps too. Like, Eric Wilson is a guy that they sort of found at random from Cincinnati and, you know, just a special teams guy, whatever. And then in training camp and in the preseason, he really showed up. So today they were able to bring in Eric Wilson in one situation and then have Anthony Barr rush off the edge and have Wilson play the linebacker role along with Eric Hendricks. And it it really worked. And I would also say from this game, I'm going to have to look closer, but I thought that Kendricks needed a game like this too to play well. He was in on a number of plays where they handed off and he was able to stuff the run last week. He played fairly well, got the fumble at the goal line against the Eagles, starting to maybe look a little more like Eric Kendricks because with a lot of those things through the first couple of weeks, it just didn't make sense. And with this Vikings team, it kind of reminds me of last year with the New England Patriots. Remember where they started off horrible on defense? Yes. Everyone wrote them off and said, oh, it's it's done. Belichick's done with a great defense. And then by the end of the year, they were really good again. These guys can tweak things. Yes, right. absolutely. And so I look at Zimmer as having that same capability. All right, let's change. I knew that you were going to stop Let's talk me. offense. This yeah. is too much okay. positivity. All right. The defense is good. It's not great. Let's talk offense. Let's go there. Let's go Kirk Cousins and tip balls. How about that? Seven of them today. Seven of them, a confounding interception that is just baffling for why he heaved the ball out into nothingness. But Judd, Kirk Cousins is who we think he is. He is the type of guy who can make throws against Philadelphia that just wow you. And his Philadelphia game was very similar to a game he had last year with Washington against New Orleans where everything went his way. He took hits. He made great throws, great catches by wide receivers, and it was just rolling. Today was a Case Keenum sort of day where he got away with not playing particularly well and turning the ball over, though, which is, I guess, anti-Case Keenum from last year. Already, Kirk Cousins has the same number of turnovers as Case Keenum had all of last year. That's incredible. Six fumbles, five lost, and how many picks now? Three. Okay. All right. Am I? I'm going to give you a cousin's observation, and you take it and tell me if I am absolutely correct or crazy. Athletically, I think he's very good. But that being said, watching him play now every week, I feel like Kirk Cousins is a guy who makes decisions that end seasons. I feel like he makes decisions that end seasons. And by that, I mean 
he doesn't protect the ball, and then it gets punched out. So he fumbles, and it gets recovered by your opponent. I feel like every once in a while he makes a Farvinian throw that ends the season. Watching him now, I, I think that if he gets you to the playoffs, if I'm a Vikings fan, I'm going to be very nervous that the decision-making by this veteran quarterback has a very good chance to sabotage my team. Is that a correct assessment? It's really interesting because he has games and he does things that win you games. Yes. Where his throw to Adam Thiel in the end zone today, spectacular. His entire last two games, for the most part, aside from a fumble on the final drive against the Rams, were nothing short of spectacular. And to see him have a down game today wasn't really stunning because that team has Chandler Jones, who annihilated Rashad Hill. And by the way, let me just as an aside, I think this should be the end of Rashad Hill playing. I think Brian O'Neill should play after this. Uh, But going back to Cousins... Those are the type of plays, and the two-minute drill goes into this, too, where it seems like his sort of snap responses are not the same. He doesn't have this coolness factor that a lot of the great quarterbacks do in those situations. In the, in the two-minute drill, they've now botched this, like, what, three times? Where it's the, the it was against San Francisco, LA, San Los Francisco, Angeles, and now against and here today, yeah. Where, yeah where they just cannot seem to manage the end of a first half. And those are times where it's not they, it, it is, it, him. it's him, right? It's, it's him. him. It's him. Don't and, say and, they. and that's where you leave points on the board. It's where you give away points. They should have murdered the Cardinals today, but he gave them seven points, just like not protecting the ball. It's something we've talked about over and over and over again, and that he's talked about and he's answered the questions on, but then we go out here another Sunday and he gives the Cardinals a free six points. So yes, Going back to what you posed as a question, I do agree that there are things in his game that have always existed and that they knew about when they signed him that really concern you about winning games. Things that do give away games, like the turnovers, like the mismanagement of the clock, the situational football stuff. But I would say when you have the receivers that you have and if you get Delvin Cook back and your defense plays much more like today and you look around the NFC, it's Rams, Saints, and everybody else, you're in that conversation with Kirk Cousins, and you could definitely have a day like he had in Philly and win a playoff game. But can he, okay, but let's say it's the Saints. Can he complete the deal? Because that's a game, if you play the Saints, that's a game that's going to come down to Breeze against you as far as mistakes go. And Breeze, for the most part, doesn't screw up. So, listen, if you get Carson Wentz, who I like, but, but I think is prone to a possible mistake or two, then I think if, absolutely you've got a chance to win a game like that. But if you play an elite quarterback, I feel as if Cousins has that ability that you hate to see where, where he's got the athletic talent to make the throws, but does he have the mind that can process things like Breeze does to make the plays that aren't going to sabotage you at an inopportune time? Yeah. And I don't know if the answer to that question is absolutely he does. I feel like, boy, I see him make plays and I say to myself, you know what? On an arbitrary October Sunday, it hurts, but it's the Cardinals. You're going to win. I never – it's weird. Despite how bad the Buffalo game went, I never had the feeling today that the Vikings were going to lose. Mm-hmm. But let's transplant this whole game to the Saints game or this team to the Saints game or this team to a playoff game. And I see Cousins make plays, and I think to myself, yeah, I don't – you know, the great ones don't make those plays. Yeah, no, and that's the thing about this whole situation when 
they signed him is that they didn't make the claim that he was Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees. Yep. We didn't claim that either. That the, Even though the price says that, it's not where he actually is, that he is a flawed quarterback. And if you, they're going to go deep and if they're going to win a Super Bowl, it's going to have to be on the strength of everyone working out. And that brings me to the offensive line. And I mentioned that it's time to end the Rashad Hill experiment after today. You should just he, end, end the podcast right now. We're he talk got about that worked collection. about as bad as you can get worked in a football game. He's being asked to play left tackle, though, which is completely unfair. I know. And we've said for a long time, if they draft a guard, then Remmer stays a tackle, and maybe this is different. But it's time, I think, to at least have Brian O'Neill and Riley Reef as your starters and Rashad Hill if you need him. Okay. But this offensive line performed extremely well in running today, but in the pass protection, again, they were abysmal. And the question is, with someone like Kirk Cousins as your quarterback, who is prone to flinging the ball senselessly into the secondary for an interception, he did it in D.C., he'll do it here, it's still going to happen from time to time, to not have an effective offensive line, it makes it a lot more difficult to believe that they can handle the best teams in the league because the edge rushers of New Orleans or the edge or the inside rushers of Los Angeles, yep. if you get if you go up against them in big games, yep. are going to make your life very difficult. Now, I I don't see a solution though, Judd. I mean, like the best thing I could come up with is just playing O'Neal and just dealing with the fact that he's going to get bull rushed at times. But that's all I got. And I think if you play O'Neal and Elfline plays the way he did today, yep. You can manage, but it still concerns me that Cousins is going to face the amount of pressure he's going to face. So here, so the solution is this, because Kirk Cousins as a quarterback is not going to change. Like, you can't get him. You can't be like, here's what, you know, ideally, Kirk, if you scooted to your left in the pocket as the pressure comes, that's good. Because we've seen QBs do that, and they make it look simple and easy, and it's hard as hell. And, and Kirk's at an age now where the mentality, you can't change him. So here's what I would do. I would say, Kirk, we're sorry. This offensive line's not good. We screwed you. We should have listened to the collars and Zolgads, but we didn't again because we thought that we were so well, smart. They'll definitely say that. Because we thought we were so smart. So, Kirk, here's what we need you to do. If things start to break down, you need to eat the football. You need to – no, but I'm, I'm just yeah. tuck it. Just take the sack. Just take the sack, and if you don't, we're going to start to fine you for every fumble $5,000. Seriously, I just want you – I want. I think what you need to do to a certain point here, and this is going to sound absolutely crazy because of Kirk's contract, but if this team's going to have any chance to make a deep playoff run, you have to accept the fact that that your negligent negligence towards the offensive line is your fault, not his. He's a quarterback who needs help. You didn't get him that help. So, therefore, we need you to turn into, not completely, but somewhat of a guy who manages the game. And part of that is when things start to break down, don't try and get cute. Today he said, well, on my fumble, I saw two guys right there, and I was trying to bring the ball back to throw it, and I got stripped. No, 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 that's not an acceptable answer for a veteran quarterback. What we need you to do is tuck the ball, eat it, and just take the sack and let them touch you down. And a great that's example I can think of. Great example of that is 2015 Teddy Bridgewater, who was – uh, criticized by some people who didn't like Teddy Bridgewater for his touchdown total, but he was excellent at situational football at not giving away the fumble. If it was an interception, it was often one that he threw down the field, not that effectively throwing down the field, but it was very rarely a key interception that he had that year. And they were able to 
sometimes, yeah, maybe not be as aggressive as they can be with Kirk Cousins, but also he led the league, Bridgewater did, in throwaways because the offensive line had T.J. Clemmings and Matt Khalil, but he threw the ball away, and he lived to play another day as opposed to the two turnovers that we saw today from Kirk Cousins. And I just think that Tigers don't change their stripes. He is who he is, and you're going to have to deal with some of these that the great days you're going to love and the bad days you're going to be frustrated by. But the thing is, when you look at his career Mm -hmm. and the ups and the downs that he's had through D.C. and even so far through this season, if you got a hot streak from Kirk Cousins through a couple games or the right matchups, and I think they have a very good offensive coordinator, yeah, you can run through the playoffs. I mean, we've seen it from other quarterbacks that are in that not elite, 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 but just very, very good, which is like Eli in his prime and Joe Flacco in his prime. Kirk Cousins is kind of that same type of guy. But he's got to eat the ball then. He does. Like, he can't be saying, well, I thought I saw two guys, and it's the fourth quarter of a of a conference final playoff game, and I'm sorry I fumbled. Right. You, you need him. You need to get him and convince him, hey, you do a lot of things well, but you got you got some glaring problems here. And, and we didn't protect you properly, but when that protection now breaks down, you don't have to make a play. Because – if you try and be a hero in those situations, it's going to work every once in a while. But more often than not, as we've seen from the fact that he's fumbled six times already in 2018 and lost five of those fumbles, he's going to make mistakes that cost you. So I just think there needs to be there needs to be something done here to convince him or to get him to know we don't need you to, to be a Superman. What we need you to do is not fumble the football or make a rash decision and throw up what looks to be a punt sometimes that's just going to get picked off. Okay, Judd, I have uh, done something here on my cellular device. I've gone to thesaurus.com, and I have put in a word that I would use to describe Adam Thielen so it would give me more words that I could potentially use. Yep. Um, Awesome, incredible, marvelous, stunning, surprising, unbelievable, wonderful, any of those work for you with Adam Thielen? All of them? How about marvelous, miraculous, spectacular, stupendous? You know what? Stupefying even? I'm going to take all your words, throw them in the garbage can, and I'm going to give you one word, and it is a testament to his greatness. Expected. I, I like expected well from played. him now. I expected from him now. He made a third and 13 catch today to open the second half, basically, on the Vikings' initial drive of the third quarter. He made a catch... That at first I'm like, he just caught that? And then I thought, of course he did. What does he drop? What does the man drop? Every once in a while he doesn't catch a pass. I get it. But it is unbelievable. And, and then post game he tried to say, well, that's an area play, and that ball is just where it's supposed to. That's a bunch of BS. You made an unbelievable catch on, on a ball where, where Cousins made a, a nice throw, but what, collar? Six out of ten guys would have watched that ball sail out of bounds and been like, I can't catch that. There would have been a lot of guys who wouldn't have either been A, near that ball, or B, would have said that's an impossible catch. I think it has become, and this might be totally unfair, but for Thielen, I think the great has become the expected. Yeah, no, you're right. When you used to go into games with Jerry Rice or if you're in Pittsburgh with Antonio Brown or so on and so forth, you expect – Big days, time in and time out, and that's what they get from Thielen and Diggs. And today was a bigger day for Thielen than Diggs, but still, I mean, 
each week one of them can go off at any time, and usually the other one still has a good game. And the thing about Cousins is that he's very accurate, but he's not, like, unbelievably accurate. It's just that it doesn't matter. It's like a, a throw like that. It just doesn't matter. Like, Keenum was flat-out inaccurate. Like, he would have throws to the middle of the field that were wide open that he would throw low or high or behind guys, and they would catch them still. Now, it might be a little off from where you exactly want it, but we don't even notice. If they had other wide receivers, we'd be like, oh, wow, he missed that throw. Oh, wow, he missed that throw. But with these two guys, it just does not matter. And, yeah, throw it into an area, and they're going to go get it, and Thielen does it again, and... It's the most 100-yard games to start a season, six in a row, yep. since some guy in 1961. So like, in I the mean, AFL. Right, in the AFL. This is a National Football League record. It's incredible. He is now, and I believe he also he set the team mark today for receiving yards in the first six games. I think Moss had, get this, 666 in 2003. Thielen's exceeded that. No, it is. and but But there's no catch he makes where I'm now shocked. Every catch he, he makes, I'm like, oh, that was an incredible catch, but it's stealing. And these guys, I mean, it, for Cousins' sake, how great must it be to like just direct a pass towards 19 or 14, and they just catch it. And let me uh, take your temperature on this. Laquan Treadwell seems to be fitting in as just a player on the team, which is a upgrade from where he was previously by kind of a lot or are you not there yet um i'm getting there you know what for the purposes that the vikings need, need him he's fine uh there's still too many drops for me personally i think he's at four or five for uh, 2018 but yes and cousins the thing i give cousins credit he trusts him enough to continue to go to him because he could have pulled that plug in about week two and said I i'm done with you he still throws to him enough. Uh, four catches today for 38 yards, which, get this, Stefan Diggs, three for 33 yards. Yeah. Laquan Treadwell had more catches. Wow, so, that's got to be a first. So I'm getting there, but when you have, have those two atop your depth chart, mm -hmm. it makes life much simpler to say. Every once in a while, I'll throw it to Treadwell, but if it's a key situation, I'm throwing it to those, for those first two guys all the time. You know, with the state of the offensive line and a running game that you're going to have to do a lot more to convince me will work week in and week out, I think that they need every moving part to give everything they have. That Laquan Treadwell today, with just a couple catches, but that's all he's got. Like, he gave you exactly what you needed. He'll block downfield. David Morgan, with a couple of key blocks today, also got worked by Chandler Jones once, but that'll happen to everyone. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, C.J. Ham, like... It's just a guy who goes out there and does his job. But they need everybody in the lineup, and they need everybody doing their jobs properly for this offense to succeed the way that it has. And that's one of the things where you sort of go like, okay, I mean, you're, you're teetering a little bit by needing that to work to its maximum potential all the time, but it can for this offense to be really effective. That's kind of the way I'm looking at this team that's accurate, yeah. overall. That's fair. Dalvin Cook. Should we be concerned that he is seemingly always hurt? Because I, I love the guy, and, and we've talked about him a ton, and we both said if he's in there, he can pass protect, he can catch, he can certainly run. 
Where do you stand, though, as far as getting concerned that this guy cannot stay on the field with any consistency? I think injury-prone is very tough. When you start calling players injury-prone, injuries are usually pretty random. Uh, an ACL tear is pretty random and happens to all sorts of guys at some point in their career. And I also think that a guy who played, what, three snaps in the preseason getting a hamstring injury is not surprising. It seems to happen every time somebody is slowed down in the training camp and preseason that they end up getting some sort of injury as they go along or they don't start as quick as you want them to, like Latavius Murray, so on and so forth. So I'm not really terribly surprised, and I'm not ready to run that flag up the pole like injury-prone guy, uh, but it's pretty concerning though, right? I mean, you're talking about a guy who has spectacular talent but has played six games out of a potential 21 games in his career, and now 22? I mean, I mean that's you're going to need a heck of a lot more from that guy going forward. So I think that being really patient here was was good, and then I guess we'll just see because I have no way to predict when a guy is as young as he is, whether these injuries are going to sustain or whether they're just common. I mean, how, how many running backs haven't had an ACL or a hamstring injury? Like probably zero, right? So I guess we'll just have to wait and see if he's in the lineup. They're much more dynamic, though. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Uh, against the Jets at left tackle, if Reef can't go. What is your what does your starting offensive line look like? I think it has to look the same way. I don't think that you can ask Brian O'Neill, a rookie, to go over and play left tackle. But the one thing is that they don't have an edge rushing presence like Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones is the outside version of Aaron Donald. Now, this guy is unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, he was just abusing Rashad Hill. The Jets actually have a better player on the interior in Leonard Williams. He's the guy that you're going to want to watch against the Jets. But I don't think that their defense is really all that great. So that's an opportunity for the Vikings to go have a big day. Cousins has been great on the road and not worry so much. But if they don't have Reef long-term, New Orleans, that's the game where you start Riley Reef and Brian O'Neill because they have monsters coming off the edge. Absolute monsters. Cameron Jordan is one of the best players in the NFL. If you face him, I think with Rashad Hill, it's going to be the same result as what you had in the playoffs last year with Rashad Hill. I think it's time to go with O'Neal. He's got his feet wet, enough of a sample to say he can play, and then go from there. All right. Well, All right. Rashad Hill, man, it's tough. I see. I don't think he, he's as bad as TJ was two years back. No, no. But I think the ask of, of – I think the ask at right tackles a lot, but he can sort of do it. Left tackle is going to be a complete that that's going to become a, a problem. And Reef for Reef not to play is a very big deal because Riley Reef does not miss time unless that that foot is near amputation is my guess. Yep. I agree. He's yep. a tough SOB. So. Exactly. So right. that's going to be something to watch, and we will have you covered all week with uh, Sage Rosenfeld's Purple Live. If you have not checked that out each week, and we post it on this feed as well, but uh, if you're in the area, especially live over the air, 1500 ESPN from 5 to 7 on Tuesdays. So make sure you check that out, and we will catch you next time on the Purple Podcast. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF. It can move racing forward and take your breath away, like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change.